0: Hey, everybody. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to Unnatural.
1: It's good to be back.
0: It is so good to be back. We're two weeks into 2022. We're, yeah. we're doing okay.
1: I'm keeping my fingers crossed. You can't see me, but my fingers are crossed right now. I can see you
0: and I can vouch for the fact that Andy does, in fact, have his fingers crossed.
1: So far, so good. I would say.
0: <laughs> so far so good. Um today, Andy, I have a pretty interesting case
1: for you. Okay.
0: Yeah. It it's it's an interesting one. So- I'm
1: intrigued already. You gave me a, a few insights before we started recording. And you seemed pretty damn excited about this one. So I, I'm interested to see what it's all about.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it for multiple reasons. This one has been on my list for a while. Hmm. A couple fun facts about this case. It takes place in Connecticut. It deals with the disappearance of a young woman and mother of three. This case is sometimes called the Woodchipper murder.
1: Ooh.
0: And I know I just said disappearance and murder are kind of Within two sentences of each other. But this was the first case in Connecticut to secure a murder conviction without a body. And it was inspiration for kind of an iconic scene and part of the movie Fargo.
1: Fargo. I was just thinking that.
0: And this case was featured on the very first episode Ever of forensic files.
1: Oh my God. Interesting. That's cool. By the way, side note I've been to Fargo, North Dakota. There is a Fargo museum there that actually has the wood chipper that was used in that movie.
0: Yeah. You want to know what my favorite part of that movie is? What's that? It happens like within the first like handful of minutes where they find the car. Flipped over. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Marge is like looking in and sees like the frozen, fucked up body. And the other guy is like, You okay there, Marge? And she's like, Nope, I just think I'm gonna barf.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Probably one of the best law enforcement officials in the history of cinema. I just gotta say.
0: We stand Marge.
1: Yes. And. Since we're from that area, we can relate to her.
0: Anyway, this case is about as crazy and convoluted as this intro, so <laughs> let's get into it. All right. This is the story of Hello Crafts. Let's do it. Nelson was born July seventh, nineteen forty seven in Charlottenland. Charlottenland? Someone can let me know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Denmark, I know we do have some listeners to um, listeners in Denmark, I think. So if I'm pronouncing that, let me let me know how you pronounce that.
1: Enlighten us. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. Um
0: so she spent most of her childhood in the small village. She was an only child. She was described as vibrant and outgoing and she actually enjoyed school. Like some of her teachers wow. said she was one of the only kids that actually enjoyed going to class.
1: Yeah, I certainly wasn't one of those.
0: I wasn't. <laughs> I think I liked at no certain
1: classes maybe.
0: Yeah, I For liked, me
1: for me it was history.
0: No. I didn't like (laughs) history. I didn't like history because I didn't like my history teacher. Um, I liked Mm. art class and English class and journalism I liked English.
1: Yeah, journalism too. Yeah.
0: I did. Actually, my senior year took a forensic science class. It was the very first time we ever offered or it was ever offered. Yeah, it was super cool. And like our end of the year project is like we all get into groups and we had to create a crime and then the other groups had to like solve our crime. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool.
1: Yeah, that's like almost like a hunt-a-killer type of thing. hmm That would have been great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so she was just happy and cheerful and kind as a child, and that extended into her teen and adult years. So, I mean, by all accounts, she was very well-liked. And she kind of had a special skill, if you will. Hmm. Um, she was able to learn and understand other languages very easily. Yeah. So she spoke English and French fluently and she could understand and for the most part speak German, Norwegian, and Swedish.
1: Isn't that amazing? And they say that a lot of Europeans are able to speak multiple languages.
0: Yeah. That's I, so
1: I, cool. I, I wish that was the same for us Americans.
0: Yeah, I actually downloaded Babbel, Feel Free to sponsor us if you would like, and yeah. I am taking like the Spanish course right now, trying really? to like brush up. Well, I took Spanish in high school and I remember a lot of it, but I would like to like be able to, you know, speak and communicate like comfortably, not yeah. fluently, but you know, like be able to have like a short conversation with somebody in Spanish.
1: For sure. It's important for us since, I mean, there's so many Spanish speaking people in our country.
0: Yeah. So I want to tackle Spanish and then I want to tackle French because I really want to go to France.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's on my bucket list.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, Hella was a beautiful young woman, blonde hair, she had like these cheekbones that could carve glass. Mm-hmm. And she um she went to college in England and then eventually relocated to France where she worked as an au pair for a while. And then she eventually got a job as a flight attendant with Capital Airways and uh, as one does, traveled a lot for that job, which um, was great because a she got to travel. She spoke what, four languages, so you know, there she was skilled in in
1: communicating in, with all different kinds of passengers. Yeah, that's a perfect job for her.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, she traveled frequently to Africa and Brussels and Frankfurt and some other places. Like those were kind of her favorites that she was able to um fly to. And at some point, she learned that they were taking applications for flight attendants with Pan Am, which I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but it is a very big, very well-known airline. And so, they were looking for um, flight attendants in the Copenhagen area. Mm -hmm. And so, she applied. There were over 200 applicants for this job. And she was one of eight that were chosen. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's very impressive.
0: Right? And those eight people were sent to Miami for training. Now, in the airline world, apparently it's not uncommon for flight attendants and pilots and you know, whoever to have affairs on layovers and yeah. trainings and, um, you know, kind of uh, like a lot of a lot of um, airlines will like block out sections of, you know, nearby motels and hotels for the staff. So um, anyway, mingling in the bedroom between coworkers is not uncommon.
1: Quite often fraternizing between the pilots and the flight attendants. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, her co-workers said she wasn't very promiscuous, but she had some, you know, situationships with a pilot or two here or there. Yeah. Um, but then on May 24th, 1969, then 27-year-old Helicraft was at a motel in Miami where she, or she was at the motel in Miami where she was at for training and met 31-year-old pilot Richard Crafts. Hmm. Now, Richard was born in New York City on December 20th, 1937. He was the youngest of three children. He had two older sisters. And Richard's father, John... Was a super successful businessman who worked in Manhattan, but he wanted to move his family to the suburbs, so they ended up moving to Darien, Connecticut. And apparently, this was a super bougie suburb at the time. Mm -hmm. I think it still is, but I'm totally not sure. Right. Anyhow, John had his business success, but he was also a pilot in world war one he played football in college so he had very high expectations for his only son richard yeah and
1: i'm um, guessing just uh before we get into it that she might not have met those expectations that he might have had for his son
0: He certainly didn't because he and his siblings attended private school, but Richard over here wasn't the greatest student. He was Mm. not excelling. He was just kind of skirting by. And he ended up graduating from Darien High School without honors. And he attempted to go to college, but he dropped out and joined the Marines in 1956. Mm. But like his father, Richard fancied flying, and um, apparently he was pretty good at flying helicopters. So he began training to fix the aircrafts and fly, and then he eventually got his pilot certification by the time he transferred to Korea and Japan in 1958. Wow. So, um, he also allegedly, apparently flew planes for Air America, which at the time was an organization that was recognized as a branch of the CIA. Hmm. Now, Richard allegedly flew for a number of secret missions in Southeast Asia, including in Laos and Vietnam.
1: Yeah, where there was a lot of bombing that was going on, and a lot of that was never reported, too.
0: Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, according to Dr. Henry C. Lee, who wrote in his book, Cracking Cases, Richard ended up getting wounded while on a mission in Laos, and he flew for Air America a few more times before returning to the United States in 1966. And now over the next couple of years, Richard... Had had some trouble securing a job and flew for several airlines before landing a pilot position in 68 with Eastern, which at that point in time was America's biggest, busiest airline. Hmm. And he was doing pretty well for himself. And he was very known for getting busy with the stewardesses. (laughs) Um, He would tell very flamboyant stories about his past, including his, you know, quote unquote, ill-defined role in the CIA and how he was involved in combat in the military. Trying
1: to impress him.
0: Yep. Um, And then when Richard and Hella met in 1969, Richard was actually engaged to another woman. Now... She either wasn't aware or didn't care because they continued to see each other and they had an on-again, off-again relationship for a while. But apparently they fought quite a bit. They fought publicly, but they always ended up making up. And Oh, one of
1: those relationships. Yeah.
0: We've all had one. If you say you haven't had one, you're lying.
1: These days it's called, It's Complicated.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. When you see that relationship on sta- relationship status on Facebook, you know.
1: Oh my god. You know, I I I pride myself in saying that I've never had that as my relationship status. I,
0: I have, but like I did it ironically, like with like with a friend, not like a significant other. You know what I mean?
1: Not really, but. <laughs>
0: Like me and my best friend. But okay, like,
1: so you did it as like a joke. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it.
0: So many of her family and friends didn't understand her attractive attraction to him. He wasn't necessarily a good-looking man. So there's that. There's the fighting. There's the affairs. There's the fact he was engaged when right. they met.
1: Red flag.
0: Yeah, and you know she's she's a very beautiful girl so she she 100 could have pulled whoever she wanted yeah let's be real but then in 1975 ellie got pregnant and then in november of that year she and richard were married in new hampshire
1: okay so he ditched the engagement then
0: he did yep. okay yep, yep 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 he did Um, In 1976, they purchased a cute little ranch-style home in Newtown, Connecticut to raise their family together because over the next couple of years, they did end up having two more children. So eventually, Hallie returned to her job as a flight attendant, and Richard was still piloting, and um, they did hire an au pair or a nanny. Named Don Marie Thomas to care for their three children.
1: Just as a side note, I mean, if I were her, I would already be a little worried, a little sus. He's still a pilot. You know about his history. You know that there's probably a good chance that he's still sleeping with some other flight attendants. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you, if you were married to a guy like that, wouldn't wouldn't you in the back of your mind think, oh, man.
0: Well, you know what they say, once a cheater, always a cheater.
1: Ain't that the truth?
0: So, together, they made more than $125,000 a year.
1: Which was pretty damn good money for them.
0: Yeah, the 80s? Yeah. 100%. So, right. they were like... Bougie rich, I think I read somewhere that that would have put them like in the top five percent. Yeah, but Richard was the one who managed all of the finances, so naturally he spent a shit ton of money on whatever he wanted.
1: Yeah, and I'm guessing he's uh, kind of kept a lot of that from his wife.
0: Yep, because he want to know what he liked to buy.
1: Uh oh, what? guns. Hmm.
0: He had a small I use that word lightly, arsenal of weapons including wow. sho- several shotguns, dozens of handguns like 9mm automatics, 44 caliber revolvers, 357 magnums, high-powered rifles, semi-automatic weapons, he had crossbows. He had hand grenades. He had thousands wow. of rounds of ammo. This man could literally arm 50 people easy. Yeah. Easy with what he had.
1: He could start his own militia or something, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, he literally could. And he would spend hours, hours every week cleaning his guns, shooting his guns, polishing his guns, and whatever else gun guys do. Yeah. Uh, you hang up on the wall and you just stare at him. You talk to your buddies over here like, oh, yeah, I could shoot I could shoot a moving, a moving target from... 35 yards no problem yeah. we even need a scope no problem i don't know that's what i that's what i envisioned so yeah he was constantly constantly adding more guns to his collection and naturally you know as it were this eventually started to put a strain on the marriage which was already in quite a bit of trouble
1: disarray maybe
0: disarray because hella was seen multiple times with bruises on her face Uh. and one of her friends later told the press that richard had abused her pretty much their entire marriage and she had um, told this friend that she would quote never forgive richard for what he put her through end
1: quote if i was hella's friend i would say hella get the hella out of there
0: Absolutely, and I think I mean you know I said earlier that uh, you know her friends and family like really just didn't understand her attraction to him even before they got married and had kids, right? Um, you know because I'm sure he was probably cheating on her, you know before Constantly. they actually got married and yeah, um, into know.
1: their marriage, yeah,
0: yeah, and now you know as after their children were born, um. Richard would just disappear for days on end. He never told his wife where he was going. He would simply pack a bag and leave. Hmm. Yeah, and he would go. Not off, a good sign. Yeah, he would just go off. Aside from his guns, he would go off and spend thousands of dollars on shit he never used. Like,
1: and what what year is this approximately? Here, where, where are we at? um are we in the 70s now or where are we
0: i think we're like in the very like with the late 70s early 80s at this point yeah. we're kind of
1: yeah and th- this is still that sort of time frame where men could just fucking get away with whatever they wanted and the women just had to deal with it and be subservient unfortunately
0: yeah um But yeah, he would go off. I mean, he controlled the finances, so he would go off and just spend thousands of dollars on shit he never used. He bought landscaping equipment. He bought tractors. He bought mowers. He bought a fucking backhoe. Never used it. Wow. Never used it. All of this shit just sat in the front yard and rusted away. The neighbors started complaining. And then... In 1982, so now we're in 1982, Richard became an auxiliary police officer in Newtown.
1: Hmm. Not the type of guy I would think that should be an auxiliary police officer.
0: Oh, but even though he wasn't paid for this job, he took it very seriously. He would hang out at the station, he was making friends with the officers, he would go out on calls that he was not called to, nor technically authorized to be at, but you know, he was an auxiliary officer acting like a seasoned, trained officer. Yeah,
1: this guy sounds like he's got a pretty goddamn big ego and maybe some narcissistic tendencies.
0: Richard was hired as a part-time police officer in Southbury, which was a little town not far away from where he and Helen lived. He was paid a whole $7 an hour Mm. at this job, which was considerably less than what he made as a pilot.
1: Yeah. Wow. Talk about a pay cut. Yeah.
0: Um, I think he was still piloting, um, But he was just kind of doing the police thing part-time. But, uh, you know, like I said, he took it very seriously to the point that he bought a 1985 Ford Crown Victoria, which is what the Connecticut State Police drove at the
1: time. Wow. So he was really immersing himself in this.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he used his own money to get it outfitted with radios, antennas, police lights, and sirens, like the whole Nine yards. Wow. Meanwhile, you know, during this whole thing, he was still having affairs and Hela, you know, caught on to him
1: mm-hmm.
0: as far as his affairs and atrocious spending habits went. Yeah. So she got in touch with a divorce attorney in the fall Thank of
1: 1986. God, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And she had expressed to this divorce attorney mm-hmm. that, you know, she... Previously in their relationship, Richard had—I um, don't know if he made comments or what—but you know, he said that he was never going to divorce her because he didn't want to pay alimony or child support. And um, I think at some point in time, he had had cancer, but it was taken care of, or you know, it was it was cured or whatever. But he had told her. At some point trying to push her away that his cancer had come back and he was like, well, you should probably like you should just go because, you know, I like my cancer's back. You're going to have to take care of me.
1: It, it, it was just kind of weird. Was he trying to play the guilt card or what?
0: I think I no, I don't think he was trying to play the guilt card. I think he was trying to make it seem like he was going to be too much of a burden and she didn't want to deal with it. So she should have just left. Okay. Um, but she did find receipts for gifts and jewelry that he did not get give to her. Hmm. So she started, um, you know, really starting to figure out that he was having all of these affairs and, you know, she told this, she told her, um, divorce attorney that she was concerned that he would get violent if he found out.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So, her attorney said, well, you know, to make sure you get the kids, you get the child support, you get the alimony, we need to gather some evidence against him that he's having these affairs. So, they hired a private detective named Keith Mayo, who was a former cop, to follow Richard around, watch him gather evidence to his infidelity. And... Evidence, did this man gather?
1: I bet he did.
0: He got multiple photos of Richard with his girlfriend where they were, you know, holding hands. She was giving him kisses. You know, they were kind of being romantic together. Mm -hmm. Whatever.
1: The whole nine yards. Yeah. Yep.
0: The whole nine yards. And Keith had apparently kind of like met. Richard, or like, talk to him in the midst of all this, like, discreetly, you know, he wasn't letting him on. And he said, um, Keith said in that forensic files episode that I mentioned at the beginning that Richard was very cold. He had a cold stare when he looked at you. Um, there was kind of just nothing there. Mm. Um, so Hella eventually actually files for divorce. Once this evidence comes in, you know, they have a good case. Um, and she told her friends and her lawyer and Keith that if something happens to me, don't think it was an accident.
1: Well, there's a red flag right there.
0: Yeah. How many, you know, this, this is a true crime podcast. If you frequent the true crime world, this happens.
1: All the time. Lot.
0: A lot.
1: How many times have we heard something like this?
0: We've talked about several instances in this podcast where stuff like this has happened. You know? Hang Lee.
1: Yeah, where these women, they they have this intuition where they feel like something bad could happen. So, they let one of their close confidants Mm -hmm. know about it.
0: So... Um, now we're going to fast forward to the evening of November 18th, 1986. Hella gets dropped off at home by a co-worker after returning from um, you know a work flight from Europe. And unfortunately, this is the last time anyone other than her husband has seen or heard from her. The next morning at 6 a.m., Richard woke up the nanny, Don, and the kids and told them that they need to get ready to go to his sister's house because there was a huge snowstorm the night before Mm. and their power had been knocked out. Mm. So, Don is like, well, wait, where's Heli? Like, wasn't she – she was supposed to come home last night. Like, why isn't she coming with us? And he's like, like, oh, no, it's fine. She got back really late. So, she's going to sleep in. She's going to meet us there
1: later yeah, bullshit
0: yep so a day or two later she is scheduled on a flight and she misses it
1: which was probably very uncommon for her
0: it was and you know over the next couple of days her friends and coworkers are trying to get in touch with her but she you know like we just said she wasn't one to show up she wasn't one to just not show up for her flights
1: yeah
0: and um These people that were trying to find her were told several different stories about where she was. Richard told them that she had gone to visit her family in Denmark, but also that she just left him and he didn't know where she was. But also that she was in the Canary Islands with one of her friends.
1: See, when you're trying to do a cover up, you probably should stick to one fucking story.
0: Exactly. And don't say she's with people who can co corroborate where she right. is. Right. Yeah. I feel like out of all of these three, the she left and I don't know where she is is what would have been the most believable for what was right. happening in their relationship at the time. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, naturally people are getting suspicious about her safety yeah. because she already had warned some of her friends that if something happens it wasn't an accident. Mm-hmm. So the nanny actually calls Keith the private investigator yeah. and is like hey something's up i haven't seen her richards acting weird you know she was supposed to show up to his sister's house when the power was out she never came and she also told him that a large piece of carpet was missing from the bedroom that had had a dark stain on it that she hadn't seen before and also the large chest freezer that was always kept in the basement of their home yeah. was gone
1: so he murdered her, got rid of the carpet with the blood stain on it, put her in the freezer, and then took the freezer to an undisclosed location. I mean, that's that's what I'm reading into this at this point.
0: We're gonna get there, but first, on December first, nineteen eighty-six, Keith calls the Newtown Police Department, and he's like, "Look, Ella's my client. I haven't been able to get in touch with her." He told them that he feared that she had been murdered by her husband because she was supposed to go to the sisters sister in law's house, never showed up. Yeah. Got a phone call from the nanny, yada yada yada. And Keith is like, You got like you need to go to her home and begin an investigation immediately.
1: Right. Right the fuck now.
0: But Richard was a police officer. Oh, the
1: auxiliary police officer. That's right. The
0: auxiliary policeman, the part-time policeman in a nearby small town. Don't even tell me
1: that they were looking out for one of their own here. Please tell me this is not where this is going.
0: Well, they did interview Richard, and he confirmed no she did not go to the sister's house but you know i i saw her when she got home from her flight she was happy she showed no signs of being different or upset but he had admit, admitted that he hadn't seen or heard from her since that night but you know she spoke four languages she traveled abroad all the time they were having marital troubles so the police aren't concerned they like there's no missing persons report filed Yeah,
1: but she wouldn't just leave her kids, leave her job like that. I mean, hello. Well,
0: exactly. But, you know, the cops are that, you know, this is the 80s. We even still see shit like this today where you say, haven't seen this person. And they're like, you know, they were having marital troubles. And sometimes, you know, someone needs to just go off, take some time to themselves, blow off steam. But soon you know, weeks later mm-hmm. that starts to change and police start taking this a little bit more seriously. And As they word, should. Yeah, word gets out around town that she's missing and no one has seen or heard from her in weeks. And, you know, in fact, the last time anyone saw her other than her husband, allegedly, was November 18th. And now we are getting dangerously close to Christmas time. Yeah, So, um, eventually a local snowplow driver comes forward and he's like, Hey, look, you know, there was that big snowstorm. I was plowing at three o'clock in the morning, but I did notice something a little weird for 3am on November 20th, that there was a man out on a bridge with a wood chipper
1: Hmm there's and the wood chipper coming into play
0: Wouldn't you know it Richard had rented a wood chipper days before his wife went missing
1: Oh my fucking god
0: Right Right
1: Wow
0: And you know what This is where we're going to end part 1 come back next week for part 2 bye
1: Oh You're going to do that? Yeah. You're going to leave us hanging here? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now I'm just going to have the wood chipper in my head for an entire fucking week here. So, Emily, if somebody isn't being thrown in a wood chipper, they can always visit us on our socials.
0: Yeah, and they can do that by coming on over to Twitter, Unnatural The Pod. Instagram, Unnatural The Podcast. Um, we have a Facebook page, Unnatural The Podcast. Send us a Gmail of your theories on what happens next, but don't cheat and look it up. That is unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have a Patreon page where you will get early access to episodes, bonus content, and more. That is patreon.com slash pod. And as Always be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, share us with your friends. We will be back next week with the dramatic and slightly infuriating conclusion to this case. Oh, I'm not
1: sure. I'm not sure how I feel about the infuriating part, but yeah, we'll leave it to it.
0: Yeah. In the meantime, make good choices.
1: And don't get got.
0: Talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya.
1: Ooh, burn.
0: yeah, you betcha. By gosh, we're just gonna (laughs) go on down to the lake.
1: Don't you know?
0: Go to the bridge and, you know, do some fishing, but by gosh, there was just a wood chipper in the middle of the night. I didn't know what was happening.
1: Yeah. You betcha.
0: Then
1: then afterwards, we're gonna get a juicy Lucy.
0: At the diner.
1: (laughs) What's another Minnesota stereotype we can throw in there?
0: Duck Duck Grey Duck.
1: No. If you
0: play Duck Duck Goose, you're wrong.
1: Duck Duck Grey Duck was an Iowa thing too. Was it? I played it, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I love that game. I sucked at it, but I loved it.
0: It's such a good game.
1: It is. Let's play it. Actually, with two people, it would be pretty fucking boring. Yeah.
0: yeah, so, you know, he already had all of these guns. Is that Riley? No, it's fucking fireworks.
1: Oh, I don't even want to say what I just saw. What? I swear I just saw something like a light. I'm not I am not messing around with you right now Right by your door At the top of your door Like this white light that like Streamed down and went back up
0: Like right here? Yes See that's what I fucking saw
1: That is just what I saw It was a white light that Shimmied down and went back up real quick
0: I fucking told you I saw Something I fucking told you I saw something earlier
1: We should have recorded that shit That's crazy I'm going to keep an eye out on that.
0: Grandma, you need to go. <laughs> Betty White, if it's you, you can stay. Anybody else, you got to go.
1: I don't want you wa- I don't want you watching me.
0: The only person that can is welcome <laughs> in this house is Betty White.
1: Yeah, but you don't want her seeing you do your nefarious things.
0: Well, she's going to have to go. <laughs> When we're done recording.
1: Wait, what the hell are you planning on doing when we're done recording?